This episode of the Miscast Podcast is sponsored by Orange Amps and the brand new Brent Hines Signature 15 Watt Turret Amp. Orange teamed up with Brent Hines from Mastodon to create a new amp feature and an all new gain structure making it a completely unique turret model. The 15 watt amp is perfect for the bedroom with a 7, 1 and half watt mode but it's still perfect for hitting the stage with. The all new 3 stage gain structure means that it's brighter at the lower gain levels and it fattens up as you dial in more gain. The natural channel has also been redesigned to have more bottom end while still retaining the balance and playability of the Rocker series. This amp can do everything from rich cleans to brutal drop tuned riffs. If you're a fan of Mastodon or even if you're not this is definitely an amp you need to check out. But if you want a more traditional British valve amp, Orange have you covered too with the all new Rocker 15 Terra, with a finely balanced natural channel which is a perfect platform for pedals and a more familiar dirty channel, this is a Rocker's dream amp. And you also got to need a cab to run these amps through, so why not check out the all new vertical 2x12 from Orange. In fact, it's the first one they've ever done. Similar to their regular industry standard cabs, this 2x12 is made from birch plywood and is fitted with Celestian Neo cream bags. The perfect cab to go with your new Orange amps or any amp for that matter. If you want to see these reviewed, head on over to my YouTube channel because I'll be doing a review of these very, very soon. YouTube.com slash C slash Doodles Music. And to get more info and to find your local Orange dealer, head to orangeamps.com. That's Orange A-M-P-S the following podcast is a miscast production. From the northeast of England and Moscow, Russia, Doodles and Dan present the Miscast Podcast. Alright everybody, welcome to the Miscast Podcast. I'm your host Doodles. Now today's episode is going to be the second half of the conversation me and my co-host Daniel Leonov had about Winter Nam 2018. And when we sat down, we hoped to get an hour-long conversation. We expected to get a 30-45 minute conversation and we went over two hours. So we decided to split it into two podcasts and episode two, the previous episode of this one, was the first half of the conversation. If you haven't heard it, make sure you go and check that out first because this conversation is going to start part way through. So if you haven't heard it, it might be a little bit confusing. Uh, but this is the second half. It's about an hour long give or take and we're going to talk about the rest of the stuff we're doing NAM, and then we're going to talk about the Axe FX3 which uh, was announced the day after NAM, and also the news that the group that owned BC Rich Hands and Music Group may be shutting down this month which is huge news still trying to confirm these details but we do touch upon it in the podcast so if you haven't heard episode 2 go and check that out then come back and listen to this episode and then listen to the conclusion of our conversation about NAM. we had a lot of fun recording this podcast and we really hope you guys have just as much fun listening to it we're going to keep this open nice and brief not going to talk too much longer uh, because the podcast is about an hour long so we want to get straight into that one and uh, hopefully guys do enjoy it. we also talk about some of the guests that we've got coming up and some of the future episode plans and uh, we've got a lot of stuff planned and uh, we really can't wait for you guys to hear them so, right so here it is this is part two of my conversation with dan where we talk about winter nam 2018 not gonna waste any more time let's get straight into this thing but speaking of things that I am going to hopefully be reviewing soon, this is something I am going to be reviewing soon. I put it on Twitter earlier, so we'll talk about these scenes or these at Nam too, and that is the new Orange Amps. The Brett oh. Hines from Mastodon Signature Amp. The Rocker 15, which is more like a traditional EL34, I believe, more like a Marshall E type of rock amp. And uh, the Crush Mini were all released shortly before Nam and were all showcased at Nam. Brent Hines has a signature model, which looks so sweet. It's a terror. The Terra amp looks sweet as 15 watts, and uh, I'm gonna be getting them on the channel. And they are actually sponsoring this episode, actually. Oh, that would be great, not financially, but they are sponsoring the episode. I did say that we that, that would put them down as the sponsor because they are obviously helping the channel out, they are helping us out by uh, sending us the gear to review. So I said they're going to sponsor this episode for us, and they said yes, we would love to. So, yes, that'll be at the start of the podcast. As we mentioned, that their Orange Amps is the sponsor of the episode. So, we're going to talk about them again. And they have the new Brent Hines signature model, which has been teased for about seven months now, six, seven months. And it is finally here. And it is absolutely sweet as 
Yeah, and the dude is famous for his metal tones. It's so uh, it's like sense. the it's like the next evolution of like you had like your Jim Root tour was like a big thing a few years ago, and obviously this is like the next big orange amp, the big artist amp. Yeah, I have to check them out too. I have like two or three of them in the studio, and they rarely get used, but they I've, are I've there. Had very minimal experience with orange before, but I know a lot of people do dig them, including uh, Aaron, my good friend Aaron. Uh, from the band Bittersweet Blast Me, who will be on the podcast in the very near future. He is oh, a great. diehard Orange fan. Uh, he loves his Orange Jams. I think that's all he's got. I think he's got four Orange Jams and he's got a Vox amp as well. But yeah, he's like, he proper loves Orange. Um, so he, he's got one of these on order already. They've only just been released and he's got one on order. Uh, the Brett, Brent Hines signature. Oh, I'm uh, kind of just looking through the pictures. I've seen a couple of amps I've, I've, I'm just remembering played. Mm. A couple of those on some rehearsal spaces. But yeah, the Brent um, Hines signature, it's got two EL34s in it, 15 watt, it goes down to 7, 1 or half a watt, which is sweet as it's got an effects loop and all that stuff as well. And uh, yeah, it looks like a pretty badass amp and I cannot wait to check it out. It should be a lot um, of fun. Do they come with all this MIDI control stuff? I don't believe they or... I if don't believe they do. They've just got the effects loop. But um, but okay. yeah, but in terms of sound quality, if you, if you look at some demos, then Pete Control did a demo of them. Dave Simpson did a demo of them. They are absolutely sweet. As these new Orange Arms. Should be good. Amazing. Yeah, they should be good. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, literally, they just hit me up and said, do you want to check these out? Oh. Like, Damn right. Yeah, great. Damn right. Because I, I, when I saw these amps, I was like, oh, man, I'd love to get hold of one of those Brent Hines amps. That looks gorgeous. It sounds mint. And yeah, they hit us up. Do you want to check it out? Fucking right, I do. <laughs> Damn right, I want to check that amp out, my friend. And yeah, they're sponsoring this episode of the podcast too. Our first official sponsor of the Miscast podcast is Orange Amps. So yes, there'll be a little message at the start and end of the podcast. And also there'll be a little message now, since we're talking about them. Go and check them out. Go and check out our Brent Hines tour. Go and check out Pika Trails and Dave Simpson's videos of them because they absolutely nailed it. And uh, yeah, go and buy one because they're sweet. There's your sponsorship message for this week, my friend. Oh, yeah. But uh, since we're talking about, I just want to quickly mention them because they're actually on my NAM highlights list that I've got in front of me. So I thought we'd mention them. And I thought I'd mention that they sponsor the podcast. I don't think I've to- I didn't tell you they're sponsor the podcast because they literally just tell me, told me while we were filming this podcast. I read the email. Oh, great. That said, <laughs> yes, we want to sponsor the episode of the podcast. So I thought I'd share the news there. So obviously the people listening at home, they know that already. You didn't at the time. But um, since we're talking about amps, this amp. Actually, there's two more amps I want to talk about, but we'll yeah, we'll go for one first, and we'll go for the one at the end, which really tickled my pickle. So first, we're going to talk about the new Marshall amps. The DSL range is back. The DSL range got discontinued uh, last year. A lot of people were very, very disappointed by that because uh, the DSL is obviously a very well-loved amp since the late 90s, and uh, they brought it back. They've revamped it a little bit. I don't know what they've done to it, uh, but they've revamped it, apparently. I think they just brought on new sizes, pretty much. But um, yeah, the DSL amp is back. It looks glorious as ever. As yeah, as as any other Marshall, they have like this classic look. Oh yeah, exactly uh, they, what it is. They definitely done some like oddball looking amps, well, apparently like, they didn't with have, silver didn't... plates and stuff. They yeah, didn't because... have the twenty watt before. That's one of the main things they've changed. They've got the twenty watt combo and head now, but they've also got the hundred watt head, the forty watt combo. The forty watt combos, obviously, we, we saw that a lot on the Anderton's channel. This sounds like stuff they always used to use with DSL forty. Uh, uh, they, they used to have some 20 watt heads like um, I think in like DIY community there is a mm. lot of circuits uh, going I think around in terms of the, classic the DSL hitting. I think they had the 15 watts now they've gone up, gone up to 20 so obviously it pushes that a little bit more 
Then the 15 watts, obviously, it might be, it might be better for some people to gig with. I mean, 15 maybe a tad too quiet. So they've got the, the 20 watt now. Uh, obviously, oh, yeah. they've, got, they've got the 5 watt combo and the 1 watt head and combo too. And uh, obviously, a DSL is what it is. We know what it looks like. We know what it sounds like, and it sounds amazing. And um, they've also got the Marshall Origin amp, which is a new line of amps, I believe. Which okay. I think is taking a more of a traditional approach. Uh, back to it, uh, to give people an all-access valve tone, traditional analog circuitry, and uh, obviously the rich organic tonal qualities of valves, apparently, according to the website. And um, yeah, they look pretty damn sweet. But yeah, Marshall is back. Marshall pretty much disappeared for the last couple of years in terms of um, what they were doing, apart from the Code series. I haven't really heard much from Marshall recently. Uh, they discontinued a lot of amps, actually. They had the uh, the anniversary 1-watt amps of the JMP, the JSM 800, and stuff like that. Uh, but apart from the code, they haven't really done much recently, so it's great to see Marshall back, especially the fact they discontinued their most popular amp, which sucked. Yeah, but, yeah, the code was uh, quite a good amp, actually. Oh, yeah, so... definitely. But, like, the DSL-40, them and that, they, they discontinued that last year. A lot of people were pissed, so it's great to see that they actually were just revamping it and making it a little bit better. Or probably just making people miss it and go... I really wish I bought one of those amps. Now they're like, well, you can. Here you go. That's probably what yeah. they were doing. But I, th actually, I think they're charging uh, a hell of a lot more for the DSL 40 than they used to as well. But mm. Yeah, I have to admit that I was always kind of uh, confused about the Marshall naming stuff because they have like DSL, JVM, JCM. Mm. And well, the JCMs aren't a thing now, are they? They were like the letters and numbers and always see that's Marshall logo and some of them were great, some of them were mm. terrible and when I see Marshall amp oh, and no, sorry, some letters and numbers I have no idea what kind of amp My bad. They, so, they still at. do make the JCM eight hundred, but they don't do the nine hundred, the two thousand stuff yeah, like that they, anymore. It's like the JCM eight hundred I think's like the hot super it's like the super high end because obviously it's the most desirable, it's like the classic that's the classic guitar tone. Uh, the JVM's kind of like the higher end stuff, and then obviously you've got the DSLs, more like your average, like your giga musicians okay. type of type of amp. But uh, then they they've got the Origin. They also have now. like AVTs. Uh, I think I they some yes. Hybrids. I don't think they. I don't think they were. I don't, they were weird. I don't know what they were. They were more like a lower end. They may yeah, have been solid state. I'm not totally sure. I can't remember. But either way, the Marshall DSL is back. A lot of people were sad to see it go, but I said I think they're more wetting the appetite to making people miss it. So obviously they re-release it now for a hell of a lot more money than it was, uh, <laughs> but it's back nonetheless. And they've got the Origin series, which is a bit more traditional approach, apparently. And uh, yeah, that was another amp that I wanted to talk about briefly. I'll be mentioning my Nam highlights video if I ever get around to filming it. Uh, but the amp that has tickled my pickle more than any other is the PRS Mark Tremonti head. Mark Tremonti now has oh. his own signature PRS head, which is sweet. As uh, Mark Tremonti has long been a user of uh, bands like is it Bagheera? How do they pronounce them? Oh really? I, I thought he was a um, he was playing Messers, but he probably... may have played Messer back at some point. He also played Diesel, I believe, at once upon a time. I think. Yeah, um... but Bagheera are, as far as I know, are like more lower entry level two pads. But I that's think he just I think anymore. I think he just play them. I think he did play them. Oh. Uh, from what I've seen, I think he's always been a user of them, big fan of them. From what I, he has, he does play Messer as well, but I'm sure that's what he's been playing uh, quite okay. a lot over the last couple of years, or few years. Maybe he changed at some point, but I know once upon a time he was playing them. Uh, I want to try and find out what does he play. Uh, Bog, no, it's Bogner. Sorry, it's Bogner. Bogner. Oh yeah, Bogner. yeah, not Bogner. Bogner, no. yes. Bogner. Yes. That's so what that's, he was playing. He's always been known. Sense. Bogner and Messer is what he's been playing. 
But um, but now he's got his own PRS head, the Macromonte 15 watt head, which looks sweet as, and as I can imagine, it's going to sound all. I've I've heard clips of it, but I imagine this is going to be yeah, one of those it's, big. It's amps. kind of cool thing about Paulie Smith that even when they do a amps and heads, which usually look like exactly the same and just like yeah. ugly. Uh, you know, uh, plywood covered. Yeah, because like the Archon, the Archon looked pretty ugly as shit. I didn't like it. And uh, they've got the Sonzera, I think it's called, and then they've got the John Mayer head, which look very, very similar to each other. I don't like the look of either of them. Sorry, Paul, but I don't like the look of either of them. And uh, the John Mayer head, six thousand four hundred ninety-five pounds to buy. You can keep it, mate. I don't think it's going to sound yeah, that good. Yeah, but they make uh, they they actually care about how they look oh, as well. So yeah, they use no some doubt. kind of yeah, not denying that one at all. But I don't. I know I'm not a big fan of their amps in terms of their looks and that. I'm not a massive fan of them. The Artron's a decent amp, but I'm not a big fan of it. But uh, I think this is going to be the big seller for yeah. PRS I, in terms of their amps. I call those amps like wife friendly because if you have a amp in your bedroom it better looks like it should better look like Boris Smith or something because if you have some you know ugly black uh, amp surrounded by really nice furniture I think it almost looks like part like of the it. furniture the PRS amps it looks yeah really so homely. that's the point so but, um, yeah that's but remember that's a few a years ago point. a few years ago yeah. when the, the 6505 mini head came out and that became like the big thing like when the lunchbox amp started to become really popular, the 6505 came out, like Fluff reviewed it, got a lot of press on that. Uh, you see like Pika Charles use them all the time. Like the 6505 is a really popular lunchbox amp. And oh, I think yeah. this is going to be like the the popular lunchbox amp for 2018. I think it's going to be like, this is going to be the next big, big metal, yeah, we'll metal amp we'll that see. everyone buys. And uh, it, it sounds awesome. Uh, it's 15 watts, 7 watts, uh, just suppose it's got two 6L6s six in it. Uh, with uh, JJ EC EC eighty three preamps, as it's got all the usual stuff. You've got your gain, master, treble, middle, boost. Uh, it's got a treble boost as well. It's got a clean, dirty channel. It's got loop uh, effects loops. Uh, you can adjust the bias with it. You can uh, change the tubes out. Now it's like, it's going to be it's going to be one of those popular lunchbox amps. I think a lot of people are going to start buying for the bedroom guitarists. It's going to be a very popular thing. And they're also working on the hundred watt version as well for the gigging musicians out there. So, oh yeah, sure. I can't find it on their website, but that was one thing oh, when yeah, I saw it's, it's when I saw MT15, that was a thing, right? MT15. Yeah, when I saw that was a thing, I was oh. hyped. I was hyped as when I saw that. I was like, "Yes, Mark Tremonti's got his amp. This is awesome." I was so is... happy. Love Mark Tremonti. Huge Mark yeah, Tremonti but, fan. But, but he's a Boris Smith artist for like oh, he's a lifer. decades. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that makes sense. He's been with Paul Reed Smith for Paul Reed Smith were like the the brand like oh, they've yeah. always been a good brand but before they became like the brand like yeah he's been with them forever since like the late 90s I think it was yeah I'm pretty sure like that because yeah and his signature guitar is one of the best popular yes yeah. yeah, as far as I know it sells like you know speaking of PRS signature models I know apparently the Zach Myers model is one of the most popular PRS models sold and most oh, yeah? people buy apparently and uh, apparently most people buy it not for the fact that the guy from Shinedown plays it just because it's a mint guitar yeah it looks it looks great so it's that dude the green Zach, one right so yeah, yeah so Zach Myers makes a boatload of money in royalties for a guitar that no one really gives a shit that it is yeah, it actually happens. Uh, I believe it uh, used to be with um, Mike Mushuk, uh, baritone, because that's greyish, uh, grey black baritone guitar. 
Uh, I actually used to uh, like play one for briefly, and it's it's everywhere. So if you at least a few years ago, if you see a baritone, it's most likely a PRS Mike Mashok baritone because it's one of the few like decent models out there and at you that time. As well as the Mark, uh, the Mark Halcom model, that's really popular. But obviously, yeah, I think it, it wasn't around at the time. I think that's part because of who he is, but as well. But I think obviously, Periphery have a very cult-like band. They've got a very cult-like following. So I think a lot of people, it's oh, a yeah. metal PRS guitar. So I think that's why it sells well as well. So obviously, he's making money out of a guitar that, not like if I was going to buy, it, if I wanted a PRS for more metal stuff, I'd probably go for the Mark Halcom guitar. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy it because it's the guy from Periphery's guitar. I'd buy it because it's a great guitar. So he's probably oh, yeah. making a decent amount of money out of that as well. Like Randy Rhodes as well. He, he's a state be making millions out of his Randy Rhodes guitars. Yeah, as I well, can just because just, just the shape sort of transcended the artist more. But uh, yeah, Mark Tremonti, he's, the fact he's got his amp now is awesome. I'm so, so excited to see that. Been a massive Mark Tremonti mm. fan for years. Have you seen, by the way, have you seen any baritones, any new baritone models uh, of any brand? About you, Chapman have a baritone. Um, Schechter have multiple. Uh, I think ESP have one. I think okay. Uh, there's quite a few out there. Baritones are quite popular, but they're sort of like they're, they're not massively popular. But there isn't enough of them out there. Ibanez, I think, have one. Have a baritone. PRS do have a baritone. They have a standard baritone. And yeah, I think they have baritone. a a few years. They have released a new baritone a few years ago. Yeah, back. Mark Tremonti has his own baritone signature model as well. Oh, yeah, that makes um, sense. But, yeah, Chapman, uh, Ibanez, LTD, I'm sure Schechter probably have one. There's a few of them out there. But, no, Chap- yeah, Chapman definitely have one. Obviously, okay. one of the beer signatures is a um, baritone as well, one of the beer's guitars. Yeah, it's an expensive so, one. Oh, yeah, well, yeah it's, but it's they've, got the, they've got the ML, the Indonesian baritones. It's about 450 quid here in the UK, I think it is. Oh, I should check it out. Yeah, it looks pretty sweet, actually. I'm kind of in the market for Baritone right mm. now, so I could but use yeah, the, one. The Chapman one's obviously a good one to consider. Like, says, yeah, they, look they, like they, they don't that as well. ship to Russia, unfortunately, so yeah. I have to look anywhere else. Um, unless they have some other dealers that then Endertons um, in Europe, because, yeah, Endertons don't ship Torment, there's Torment. Oh, yeah, probably too much. So it seems that we've still got a few more things to talk about. Uh, we'll probably wrap up the NAM stuff very, very okay. soon because we've been going a shit. This, this podcast long as hell and we are nowhere near done. But uh, one thing I need to talk about, this is probably the thing I was most excited for. I think we'll probably, uh, unless there's anything you want to talk about with NAM, we'll probably call it a day after that one uh, because we've been going shit load of time now. But uh, one thing I had to talk about was the new Mick Thompson from Slipknot Jackson soloist signature oh, yeah. models. Oh, man. Oh, if I had 800 quid. If I had 800 quid, one of them would be mine. That looks beautiful. I was actually contemplating, I was actually wanting to get these Ibanez a while ago. Uh, for some reason, I think I'm in the market for a metal guitar. I can't afford one, but at some point I want to get a metal guitar just for more metal stuff because you never know you want to play a metal. Oh, yeah. And, when, um, by the way, when did he switch to uh, oh, a year ago? Jackson? Oh, oh, a year, year ago. or so ago. So, uh, he left yeah, Ibanez thought of uh, him as a Ibanez guy Jackson so. probably waved a lot of money in front of him um, but apparently <laughs> he he got a custom made Jackson soloist I think or a V I think before the first Slipknot album and he used it I think all over that sort of time oh. period before he joined BC Rich 
Um, so apparently he's always been a big Jackson guy. Just obviously endorsements is okay. what it is. But uh, apparently he still plays Jackson all the time. Uh, apparently he still plays his BC Riches all the time, even though he hasn't been with them for well over a decade now. I think since the Iowa days, he hasn't been with um, BC Rich. Uh, but he still plays them all the time. But yeah, he switched over to Jackson. He's, he had a, I think last year they revealed his custom shop model. It was like four grand, like made oh in the USA, handmade, shit like that. And uh, now they've got the regular import model, the Jackson McThompson line. Uh, the soloist retails around 800 quid, give or take, and it is beautiful. It looks like a soloist, looks a bit like his Ibanez, to tell you the truth. Looks very similar to his Ibanez. Uh, it's got yeah, his make sense. mahogany body, uh, maple neck, ebony fretboard. Uh, I think it's ebony fretboard. He's got his signature blackouts in it, even in the import model. He's still got his signature blackouts rather than just some Duncan designed actives, uh, which great. is sweet. So obviously it's very close to his original, just some more of a mass-produced version, a CSC machine version. Um, it's got a custom neck profile, which looks pretty comfortable. Uh, it's got one to- one volume. Uh, I think it's a three-way selector, but it's like a strut-style selector switch. Um, but yeah, one volume pot, so there's no tone to do anything. It doesn't use a tone. Yeah, uh, the modern. jack, the jack is closer to where the bottom uh, strap button is. It's there. Oh, okay. On the body, it's on the side of the body, where that is. So basically, you plug your cable and it goes right round into your straps. Obviously, nothing can get caught in it. It's literally just you plug your cable in and your straps right there. Obviously, loop it round. So it doesn't pull out. So that makes sense. Yeah, Apparently he did, sure. he did that on his Ibanez as well. Uh, and the one thing that's really interesting is the fact... Is this, have you seen the bridge for it? Um, it's like a Floyd Rose, right but it's, it's not a it's not a tremolo system. It's kind of something Ibanez was doing. It was like... Yeah, Ibanez uh, did it as well. It's his own bridge, I think it is. Yeah, it's, it's like... It's a Floyd it's Rose. locking nuts as yeah, well. Yeah, locking so. nut. Uh, it's like a, it's good, this, this tuning ability of a Floyd Rose. He set it up like you do a Floyd Rose, but there's no hole in the back. There's no wood carved out. There's no springs. There's no trim. It doesn't float or anything. Like it's a solid hardtail bridge, but it's basically like a Floyd Rose bridge, but like solid in the guitar without a trim on it. So you lock um, it in exactly the same. You've got the lock and nuts. The tuning ability is like perfect. And uh, that really piqued my interest because I love obviously the tuning ability of something like a, a Floyd Rose, but I don't really have a need for them. And changing tunings is a bit of a bitch because obviously you've got the tension on the springs and the the trem and that so obviously with this one you've got yeah. the sort of the tuning stability of a floyd rose but you unlock the lock the locker nut at the top you can just tune down or whatever yeah but i believe up. the stability of floyd rose comes from the springs but that one doesn't have any springs so no it's basically it's the same type of bridge it's like that same type of bridge but apparently the tuning stability is absolutely just perfect doesn't doesn't move or anything like that Okay. Uh, which is fantastic. And yeah, when I saw that, I was like, man, if I had 800 quid, I would be <laughs> oh, all yeah. over that shit. Like like many of the things that I've seen this year at NAMM, if I had the money, I would be all over that, man. Well and true. That was probably, that's my number one thing that I was probably most excited about at NAMM, was the Jackson. I was like, fuck, yeah, looks I cool. need, need myself one of them. Uh, but anything else at NAMM tickled your pickle before we move on to the Axe effects? I... Uh, not sure i think yeah i think that's that's it god we talked about a lot of gear this episode <laughs> we've yeah, been I big gear nerds for, for an hour and a half uh, big gear nerd. yeah we'll see we can talk about the axe effects because the day after nam which oh, yeah. oh no since we're talking about axe effects i need to talk about one more quick thing just as a quick segue since we're talking about modeling did you hear about kemper uh no and um, they did a video of anderton's 
And uh, Lee asked him, is there going to be a Kemper 2? Or what's the plan for Kemper? Is it basically, are you doing anything with Kemper this year? And uh, in a roundabout way, they went, no, the Kemper's amazing. Why do we need to do anything? Oh, Pretty yeah, much. sure. Pretty much. I think, yeah, I think that's that's kind of the truth. Because there are some people like... Um, like, what can you improve? The Kemper is what it is. You can't. You don't need a Kemper 2. What can they really improve? Yeah, I, I even remember some um, a few months ago... Uh, my guitar teacher is like, um, I don't know, he's kind of conservative guy. And one day he just, um, I arrived at his place and he's like super pumped and he's like, t- t- he's like super over the top and he he's just talking about when he went to the studio, uh, he was in the process of uh, recording his album and he said like, dude, I was recording on a camper. This is so badass. This is so cool. Like, oh, they're amazing. Uh, like the, the, the whole process is so much easier and I was really mad because the guy was like conservative and he used to play all these custom-made guitars, custom-made tube amps uh, all the time, and now he tried Kemper and... Oh, the Kemper's uh, yeah, amazing. Yeah, you see what it is, you, you see what you see, like... It's... Yeah, I kind of agree with the Kemper do, but it's pretty much what do we... Like, what can they change? The Kemper, you, you've still got to buy... Like, most Kempers aren't in stock in a lot of places still. They're still very much in demand. They could do with maybe improving some of the effects, which I was going do through updates rather than releasing the Kemper 2. But yeah, pretty much at NAMM they just said, we don't need to change anything, the Kemper's amazing. I thought that was pretty damn yeah, funny. Yeah, why not? So, I thought that was pretty damn funny. Yeah, right. it's it, it works. Even some studios exactly. use it. There's no, need, there's no need to improve what's already perfect. So. But yes, yeah, since we were talking about amp modelers, I was meant to mention that earlier, so I thought we'd quickly segue into that. But yes, the day after NAM, when everyone's already burnt out with gear goodness, Fractal Audio surprised everyone, announced the Axe FX3. And man, that yeah. thing looks gorgeous. That looks beautiful. Oh, yeah, that oh. looks fresh. Oh, I know. I know the Kemp is number one on my wish list, but I think the Axe Effects might be number two. No, the Mick Thompson signature is maybe number two, and then I think, and then I think the Axe Effects three. But damn, that thing looks sweet as. Oh, I don't know how much you can improve the Axe Effects because the Axe Effects is a product where it's absolutely fantastic. It's beautiful. It do, it's amazing. Like, what could they do? Apparently, it's like two and a half times more powerful than the Axe Effects yeah, two. Yeah, so apparently they just improved some specs some better hardware and some mm. dsps and stuff Why hopefully not? they uh, made the editing a little bit i've always heard that axe effects a little bit awkward to edit on it's a bit you spend a lot more time editing patches than you do actually playing it which is what i've heard uh, so hopefully they maybe um make it a bit more user friendly but yeah obviously apart from maybe tweaking the amp models they put i think 2048 impulse response cabs on there yeah which is a huge amount and you've Good got the hood. Well, you've got a hood, you've got 189 legacy cabs, which I believe are the cabs that was on the Axe FX2. So obviously that's a huge amount of cabs that you've got possibilities for the new that. And you've also got 2,048 places for your own impulse responses. So obviously the the possibilities with the Axe FX3 are literally endless. Yeah, but and, that's uh, the, quite overwhelming at the same time because. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. one of the things as well. Like, yeah, personally, can, I, I'm more used to you know when you just uh, pick a one amp and. You just plug it in and it sounds great right off the bat. Oh yeah, like bias effects is too much for me. Like I, I, oh, yeah. I haven't unlocked the potential of bias effects, and that's a plugin. Never mind having five thousand amps, to, uh, <laughs> amp cabs to choose from. All these amp models, they've got over two hundred different effects. Um, the way that the the routing grids is now, it's six rows and fourteen columns. I don't know whether that means you can have eighty-four separate. Would that be what it means? 
Um, yeah, I, b I believe there are some places for different effects, chains, parallel, series, and so that's probably how it works. And that I see. probably if you, has if you, to do with the core number. If you the took the, if you literally something. made a patch that took the axe effects to its limit, you've got the potential. If it's six rows and 14 columns of effects, amp signal chains, where obviously like when things are triggered, I'm assuming basically when, you, when it's triggered certain, like the signal change, you, you could change it to route a different way and stuff like that through like oh, yeah, MIDI probably. switching. Where it's like, how, like, even out of one patch, if you did that, like what are the possibilities of tones you would get out of that one patch just by taking it to its limit of using all 84 places in the chain? Like, it's incredible. And that's out of one patch you could do it. Never mind all the other 512 patches you could store on the Axe Effects. It's absolutely just insane. And it's like, I don't think anyone's ever unlocked the true potential of an Axe Effects. I'd be very surprised. Yeah, but the most users... Uh, I see the most users a touring musician like thing mm. because um, a lot of bands that um, come play gigs here... Yeah, uh, like huge international acts. I started to notice, like maybe five years ago, or so mm. that a lot of them bring XFXs with them. Yeah, I've seen a lot of them gravitate towards the Kemper now. I've seen a lot of people change yeah, from like acts to the Kemper, but XFX still very, very prominent. Yeah, but in they, live touring. The really weird thing about XFX on the stage is that uh, I noticed that like right away when. Um, you know, bands uh, that come to a venue, like mid-sized venue, mm. like maybe one, two thousand people, like a lot of those venues sound like shit. So, yeah, yeah you, you know, like small venues may sound good, like huge venues may sound good, but the, the ones in the middle are like yeah. tough ones. You but when most people started in. to bring like XFXs with them, yeah, somehow it sounds amazing all the time. And yeah, because you can get your, you can get like your album tone on stage, and obviously no yeah, matter where you are, there's works, no, yeah, there's no it, mic placement because it's all front of houses. There's no mic placement and stuff like that. Like it's all, it's, it's there's not. You haven't got like a shit room which is making the frequencies oh, and the yeah, microphone. Yeah, even with the acoustics, like, yeah. uh, it works. Like, oh, it's, that, it's amazing. That's weird. But like Metallica so, use Axe Effects now. Like, I mean, like, probably the, one of the biggest, <laughs> potentially biggest rock bands in the world right now, Metallica using Axe Effects. Like, uh, DJ Ashbro, when I saw Guns N' Roses uh, in 2012, he was using the Axe there. Uh, he uses it now, I believe, still with uh, 6 a.m. Like, John Petrucci uses it now. Uh, the guys from Periphery all use them. Like it's uh, it's huge. Like the Axe yeah. is like it's. Let's say the Kemp is getting a bit of a market share, but the Axe in terms of a live two world two musician, Axe is still king. Oh yes, yeah. I, I think it's because you can the get first that one. But uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of recording since. Like it's built for the two and musician. Like it's. Yeah, it's it's for the professional musician, which obviously puts it a lot out of our price points for most of us. Like. It's one of those things that I would love an Axe Effects, but if I had Stick Pounty Steve, I uses one as well. The Edge from U2 uses one. Oh, really? Yeah. Apparently. Um, Devin Townsend obviously uses one. Alex Lifeson from Rush uses one. Uh, Guthrie Govan. Uh, Phil Collin from uh, Def Leppard. Joe Satriani. Uh, I always mention Metallica. Um, Andy Summers from The Place. Uh, Don Felder from The Eagles. Uh, Torsten Abassi uses one. Uh, Dave Mustaine from Megadeth uses one now. Uh, Steve Stevens from Billy Idol. Like, no, I mean, like it's it's yeah, like the who's the, the who's guys, who, like the who's who of, super of old music. Bands mm. See, you've got like you've got a U two, you've got the Police, you've got uh, the Eagles all using the XFX, and you've got John Petrucci, Steve I, uh, Joe Satriani's, and you've got like your Peripheries, your Metallicas, 
yeah, Mastodon, they're all using, like, it's, it's, it's unreal how much, how many people use it, apparently, since, I'm just going through the website now, since the Gates uses it, apparently. Um, okay. Uh, Brad Delson from Linkin Park uses one, uh, Breaking Benjamin use one, like, Guns N' Roses, Megadeth, uh, Marty Friedman uses one. Um, it's unreal. It, it is the true touring musician's amp rig for the 21st century. Yeah, that's... Like, it's all amazing. Like, like, you've got your guys like Slash, I think, which will always be martial guys. I think will always be the case. Um, but like even he doesn't play with amps on stage anymore with Guns N' Roses. They're obviously behind the stage. They're all set up in ISO cabs and stuff like that. And it's like when you get at these sort of levels, that's when the Axe Effect sort of becomes king because it's that's kind of how that's how the Axe Effects would be set up, really. It would just be going in the front of the house from wherever it's kept. And um, it's definitely a yeah. touring musician's type of gear, piece of gear, which obviously puts it out of the range for a lot of us. But um, yeah, I would absolutely, I'd love one if I got the opportunity. But I, th- I also think in the same breath, if I had two and a half grand to spend on an Axe Effects, would I buy one? Mm, well, I, I believe a lot of artists like... Um... That's a way not pro touring musicians. And it's like, would I want... Like, I'm very much in the digital world. I don't play amps. I don't have much desire to play a real amp. I'm all about the digital but it's like, I don't know, it's a lot of money. I don't know, I'm just, trying, I'm just trying to think, if I was sat and I was on the website, would I hit buy now and would I put my bank card into that website and pay two and a half thousand, half the price of my car? My car's worth less than that now. <laughs> like if, well, I, if I trade my, I wouldn't even get £2,000 for my car now if I sell it. And like, would I want to pay half the value of what I paid for my car for an accident? Well, that's a shitload of money. You can always rent it. But yeah, yeah, the, the thing with that is that it's quite... Um, complicated so i don't know oh, yeah. how to use xfx yeah i can rent it every now and then when i play shows but i don't because uh, even if i do like you wouldn't be able to, you you wouldn't have a clue what you were doing it'd be yeah, yeah. exactly so no, i'm saying obviously if we were if we were two musicians and yeah fair enough xfx if i was going to tour the world or whatever i would go over xfx without a doubt it just yeah. it's convenient it makes sense but i'm trying to think is the person that was me with my 2000 subscriber youtube channel if i had two and a half grand to spend on gear now i, I don't know if i could click buy now and all that money would just disappear but in terms of value for money i'd say the axe effects definitely there oh yeah it's unreal absolutely amazing piece of kit and like i said the day after nam everyone's burnt out on nam and they just go you know what He's XFX3 friends, and the whole world just went boof, just exploded again with excitement. Although I've seen a lot of negative stuff about it. I've seen a lot of negative backlash about the XFX. I think, it, I think in part it's how how much can you really improve it? Because a lot of people say the XFX2 is borderline perfection anyway, so how much can you really improve it? Obviously you're charging all this money for something that's not a great deal different to what we've already got. But then also I know a lot of people have recently bought XFX2s and now they're a bit pissed that they've Three's coming out, but it, it's the same with everything. It is what it is, isn't it? Oh yeah. If you buy something, you clearly were happy enough to buy the two now. So what's the difference in not buying the three? You've got the two. You're more than happy to spend two grand on that. So it is what it is. Yeah, but probably but, the second ones might drop in price. But yeah, that's what I think. I think sure. they'll, I, they'll drop by a few hundred quid. I think for sure. Um, it will make it a I'm lot. Sure. Mo- but definitely. There will be a lot of them on the used markets. So. I think the XFX two is about fifteen hundred quid amp now on the used market. And I could see I could see it potentially dropping down about twelve hundred because people are gonna start and get starting to sell them a fund for three. And I can see people starting to undercut each other to get that sale because obviously they, yeah, a lot of people need to free up a lot of money very fast because the shipping starts shipping in March or stuff like that. So if you want to get them day one, 
Like, you need to, unless you have the cash ready to go, you need to free up a lot of cash very quick. So I can see a few people maybe undercutting each other on reverb, trying to get that sales. Like, I can see the price of them maybe dropping down a little bit to be, be a bit more competitive. So that might open up the Axe 2 to people like you and me. Because if we're paying a 1200 quid for Axe 2, that's a bit more accessible to us than, say, 2500 quid, $3,000 or whatever like that. So, yeah, it's piqued my interest. I've always... I've always yep. been aware of the Axe effects. I've always thought they were amazing, but I've never, it's never been on my radar as being something I would have considered buying, but now it's on my radar again, and I'm like, oh, could that be the way to go? Yeah, but we can wait and see how far can software mm. plugins get. I'm a big believer. Of, I'm a big believer of digital, so I think I, I'm dig, a digital hardware rack amp modeling rack thing is definitely in the pipeline for me i don't know what i'm going to get yet but i think that's definitely going to be the direction i'm going to go in uh for sure but yeah the axe fx it was always i was going to get the 11 rack and then i was going to save up and get a kemper but i don't know the axe fx may have just sort of snuck in there and just mm -hmm. sort of like uppercutted the kemper and bit and being like hmm i'm in this buying the well. first axe fx like Look, you, get them about 600 quid. you can get an axe fx one for about 600 quid now yeah it's quite decent I played it could one. be. It's, it could be worth. Good. It could be worth buying a cheaper model to see whether it's all that. See whether it's worth that investment. Oh yeah, so, could be something to do. But yeah, but yeah, the Axe has never been on my radar. And then, like, literally in the last few days, like, it's snuck in that race, and it's like, yeah, you might want to buy me as well. And now I'm like, mm, I might want to buy an Axe So I could talk about it all day long because I haven't got any fucking money to do so. But <laughs> oh yeah, when I do the Axe you never know. It could be the one. Could be the one, who knows? But either way, the world is exciting. I cannot wait, not wait to start hearing the demos of this thing. I cannot wait to start hearing this coming out on YouTube and hearing people playing. It's going to be incredible. Mm. And uh, it'll be interesting to see the comparisons. Obviously, multiple people are going to have the Axe 2 and they're also going to get the Axe 3. So it'll be interesting to see the differences and hear the differences and see whether it is all that uh, before yeah, we make up our mind. There's also like positive great bias head. and there's, like, I don't know if I'd want to buy a bias head. I don't ever want to buy a bias head. I, I, I like bias effects. I do, I do like it. It's great software. I don't know whether it's worth a thousand pound to me. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure. That's the like, thing. I could buy a Kemper for a couple hundred quid more. Could buy a Helix. Yeah, the Helix, I think so. So I think the Helix is good, but I don't. There's something about the Line Six, the way they, their um, their things sound. It never quite sounds right to me. Um. Yeah. There, there are definitely some people like. Um... Uh, James Browning from Monuments who plays like Line 6 exclusively and he sounds better. Oh yeah, uh, I'm not sure they can sound it... amazing. But it's also about them which makes me go like, mm, it sounds great but it's, I don't, I wouldn't want to spend that money on it. I've contemplated buying a Pod HD 500X a few times like, but, but I don't know, that's something where I don't know if I had the choice if I'd want to spend that money on a Helix when there's other options like Axifex 2 used, a Kemper, stuff like that. Like, I'm not totally sure about the Helix, but uh, the 11 rack summit that I'm probably going to consider getting because I can get one, you can get one for 300 quid these days, brand new. Um, oh, yeah. And they're pretty sweet. Uh, I know DJ Ashby used one in 6am um, before the Guns N' Roses gig. Uh, he sounds awesome. Uh, the guy from Hinde uh, used one, or okay. uses one. Uh, they are quite popular, but now a company called Headrush have basically taken the uh, 11 rack amp models and basically made this new pedal board like a like a helix pedal board type of thing uh, using that but with like upgraded technology and more power and better amp models and stuff like that and that looks pretty sweet it's like okay. the next generation of uh, 11 rack so there's definitely options out there but yeah the Axe it's pretty damn sweet 
But obviously we had to talk about that today. We had to touch upon that in the podcast because that's obviously big post-NAM news. Oh, yeah. Which uh, I say a lot of people weren't expecting and I saw it, I was like, hype. And it <laughs> became one of my best videos that I've done in a while, which was good, so I'm not complaining about that. How much that. views and, so far? Oh, like I'm refreshing 10, my page now. It is on, at the time of recording this podcast, it is on 8,604. Okay, sweet. Which is good, because the last time any video on my channel got that sort of traction was my Judas reaction, the fuzzy video that I did. And obviously I couldn't even monetize that one. I got eight, that's got 80,000 views now. So yeah, the fact that it's got that, considering the two videos either side of it have 71 and 57 views, the video I uploaded before this one and the video I uploaded after that one. So I'd say this one's been pretty damn successful for the channel. Oh yeah, absolutely. Although it did get a load of random hate, which really pissed me off, right? Because this wasn't actually from people that were musicians, right? This is a fucking annoying story, right? I don't know if you'd be aware of them. There's a YouTuber called Ace Trainer Liam, uh, Pokemon YouTuber, blue mm-hmm. hair. Cool dude, cool dude. I like, I like him. He's a friend of mine. Uh, he's got a girlfriend called Groove Dusk, Lydia. Awesome, oh, awesome yeah, girl. Super, 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 yeah. super, super nice. I was trying to promote her during the whole partnership program crisis thing. Uh, she uploaded a video a few days ago about uh, what it's like dating a YouTuber because obviously she's got, she got into a relationship last year with a successful YouTuber. Uh, what's it like back because obviously we see what we see what we give people obviously we we the way we see creators is how creators see us obviously we we show them the best side of us the part of us they want to see stuff like that obviously for entertainment value so what's it like behind closed doors of actually being in a relationship with a real life like famous like semi-famous youtuber like a working youtuber what's it actually like uh behind the scenes and uh, in the video she talked about all that stuff and that was all it was a good video um i enjoyed it i left a comment said obviously i i also thought you two were good together like i, I think they do look like they do look like a good couple together mentioned it uh people have been commenting on it blah 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 and all of a sudden this video started getting bombarded with hate oh like out of no like 40 likes 90 dislikes um all from you know when you get those accounts where they've got no avatars just random accounts oh yeah all these things because there's those people that got a vendetta against her. i don't know whether it's because they preferred his ex-girlfriend to her or whether she's pissed someone off or something like that or maybe she's people saying she's like sucking dick for fame no i don't know what people's issues might be with her. i don't know what they are because i don't personally know what the issues would be but you know people get a fucking axe about anything uh people have an axe to grind but um yeah, yeah basically yeah, started getting started getting hit uh people started commenting blah 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 giving a hit like that and all of a sudden my video started getting a lot of dislikes and I was yeah, out with the phone. And oh. I started getting a load of random comments saying like, retard, pussy, uh, you fucking cunt, blah, blah, blah. What the fuck? Like, this is like, for a random... I know the fucking the Axe FX, no, the Axe FX community, like, more like the Gibson community, they're all full of assholes. There's some nice people, obviously, there's, but you get those diehard people. Like, they could have been Helix lovers that went, oh, the new Axe FX, I want to hate on it because it's Axe FX, it's oh, not yeah. a Lion 6. No, I mean? So I was like, well, maybe it's that, but either way, you're being a cunt, mate. So... It is what it is, anyway. And um, I noticed, I don't know what, I saw mentioned something and it twigged to me that these people know me from somewhere. And I was mm-hmm. like, where? And I went back on her video. I noticed in the comment section, a lot of these same names were there that were giving her hate. They were calling her names. They were hating on people who were commenting positive things in her video. So obviously they saw this video and then came over to my channel Spam the dislikes on my channel and left me here all because I left a positive comment on another creator's channel. And I was oh, like, what the weird. fuck? Yes. No, I mean, it was like, if, if if you were a musician, if you saw my video, if you saw, oh, the new Axe Effects out, you thought I was going to 
the video was going to be about me playing at Axe FX3. You thought I was going to let all someone's going to play it. You were disappointed. You left a dislike. I still think you're a prick, but fair enough. That's your prerogative. It is what it is. But the fact that these people weren't musicians, they had no interest in my video and they only disliked it because I said something nice about another creator. That really pissed me off about that. Considering it's my most successful video in a very long time, the fact that the dislike is pretty high is yeah. really fucking frustrating. And does it, uh, does it somewhere, uh, in some way, um, interfere with your ad revenue or something like that? Not with the ad revenue, but they all say that engagement, good or bad, doesn't matter to YouTube. The fact that people have clicked dislike shows that they had a feeling and they had an opinion oh, enough about okay. the video or click dislike that they'll still promote it. But you know that, say, if you get a video that's got 100 dislikes and 50 likes, you know YouTube's not going to be promoting that. Oh, yeah. Because that's going to be mad... Because YouTube's going to start thinking, the algorithm's going to start thinking, there's something wrong with this content that people aren't clicking with, so I'm not going to promote it. And I noticed that by the time these dislikes started getting as high as they are now, my video was the first search or the second. If you search AxeFX3, my search was the, mine was video was number one. If you search for AxeFX, III is in number three, my video was number two. And then by the time this got like, say, 15 dislikes, my video dropped down like number six. And even videos that weren't about the Axe FX 3, but about the Axe FX 2 from a year ago, it started overtaking it in the search results. And oh, I think yeah, that I played a part that. in it. Yeah, and you're on number six right now. Yeah. Which was really, I think the dislikes had something to do with that. And it was really frustrating yeah, the fact it that it was might, my, it might work. Yeah. my most successful video in a long time. And all because I left a positive comment on a friend's video and said, I enjoyed that, mate. It got fucking hit. I mean, if it was if it was musicians that hated it because I'm a shit musician or it wasn't an Axe FX playthrough and you thought it was going to be that, fair enough, that is what it is. Uh, people feel to dislike the videos, people still dislike the video, that's entirely their prerogative, but that really pissed me off. And that's one thing I just wanted to vent about there quickly, seeing as we're talking about the oh, video. Yeah. But in terms of views, yeah, the video's my... It got more views in the first 24 hours than I believe any other video on my channel's ever done. I think. Just by a few, just by a yeah. few, not any many, but by a few. Uh, my subscribers since that video has gone up by about 14 give or take I don't know how many that's related to the actual video I can find out in the analytics um, I'll click on it it tells you it tells you doesn't it if you apparently I've gained eight subscribers from that video oh, oh okay that's cool yeah that's that's cool but th these are delayed by two days as well the analytics because oh, these yeah, analytics only sure. go up for 31st of January so there may be more um, so that's good. Did I lose any subscribers? I didn't lose any subscribers because of the video. So yeah, and those subscribers that's... are interested in gear, obviously, and obviously like... interested in that enough. So that was good. The, the uh, audience retention, shit, like, but a lot of people would have clicked on the video, saw it wasn't a playthrough video or an official, because the thumbnail, I'm not going to lie, looks like an official fractal video, and the oh, title, the Axe FX Three Years Coming, it looks official as fuck. So some dumb fuck won't have seen that it says Doodles is the guy that uploaded it. Might have thought it was an official video, saw it, went, oh, it's not, it's some fucking fat dude talking, clicked <laughs> off the video. That's probably why the audience retention is a bit shit, but it is what it is. I was expecting it to be fair. I was yeah, expecting the shit audience retention. I think there's three videos uh, oh, above yours that, that involve actual XFX3. Do you know, within the, first, within the first five seconds, that video, I, on average, lost 37% of the audience. Yeah. Did you mention in those five seconds that you don't have XFX3? No, I think I said, if you're in the microphone XFX2, you might be in luck because the XFX2 is about to get a hell of a lot cheaper because the XFX3 is now a thing. Bam! Okay. Off! Fuck that yeah. guy. <laughs> it's 
pretty much what happened. And apparently, according to my, my this is probably the worst performing video, like one of the best views I've ever got, but one of the worst performing videos I've ever got. And I think it is the fact that people assume it's an official Axe X playthrough video, or I own one and I don't. But apparently, only 4.5% of people make it to the end of this video. Okay. That's pretty piss poor. This is literally one of my worst performing videos. My video never cracks, in the relative audience retention, my video never cracks above average audience retention. Well, yeah, it makes sense. You don't have XFX3 and... Like, yeah, exactly. I was one, expecting it. it I was expecting it. It's a kind of clickbait video in its own way. People would have clicked on that video. It looks official as fuck with a thumbnail. Oh, yeah. People assumed, because that's the image taken directly from the XFX website. So most people assumed it was either going to be an official video about the XFX or I was going to be showing off the XFX. So yeah, that's fine. I was expecting that anyway. But yeah, it's one of my worst performing videos in terms of uh, watch time and audience retention. My best viewed video of all time in terms yeah. of how quick it got views. And then you will get a copyright strike from Fractal Audio because you used their picture and... Probably, Zai. <laughs> that's where it ends. <laughs> I did email them and said, uh, I've got this video, it's doing really well, it's actually performing like one best video of all time, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, Bliss uh, one. People clearly want to see the Axe Effect, so what about sending us one out on the channel? And they said, uh, we haven't got any units available to send out at the minute, but when we do, uh, we'll keep your request in consideration, which oh. is a nice way of saying, uh, no, mate. You've only got 2,000 subscribers. We're not going to send you a fucking Axe FX3. Yeah, mate. they definitely do have someone, some of those because, yeah. Although, I will say, if you search for Axe FX3, those two people that I saw at the top of the search result that I've actually played through them, uh, yeah, one of there's... them has 15,000 subscribers and one of them has 2,205 subscribers and he already has a Axe FX3. Probably so he's an artist, he... probably he's a retailer or probably he's a Maybe, tech yeah. for someone. He's got a lot of videos on his channel about the Axe Effects. Uh, he's a Grammy Award winning producer, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. There we go. That's him. So That's it in a nutshell. Yeah. That's he's obviously he's a producer. He's probably been able to get hold of it early. Uh, Grammy Award winning, apparently. If you look at it, he's got a Wikipedia page. So, shit, assume that's the same person. Oh, uh, yeah. Obviously. So. If it's the same dude, uh, he's produced for Al Green, uh, Rod Stewart. John Mayer. So What's yeah, that name? dude. Uh, it's Larry Mitchell. Larry Mitchell. Okay. Um, you on Wikipedia it comes up as Lawrence Mitchell. Yeah, he's the same one dude. The... Well, it says Grammy Award winning producer, and obviously those names are uh, Grammy winning musicians. So I'm going to assume that he's probably the same dude. Uh, he's got his own signature model of Nags guitars. So yeah, I've, I'm assuming he's probably got. He's probably uh, obviously he's a big name producing. So I'm assuming he probably got Axe of X3 for that reason. Yeah. Uh, makes sense. So yeah, for he probably he being a YouTuber probably had very very little to do with that decision. Probably the fact he's a producer. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, then the other person who's got an Axe of X already is only 15,000 subscriber channel, but. He never, I said he could be in the same boat, couldn't he? So Yeah, ne next time you write an email, you should mention that you own a studio, that you own a record label. Ah, Miscast. fuck, yes! Yeah, oh, that's... oh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm the founder of Miscast Studios. I'm the yeah, founder of Miscast Records. Like, I'm a big I'm deal. The I'm the I'm the founder of Miscast Media that is host to Miscast Studios, uh, Miscast Records, uh, Miscast Podcast. What, you name it, Miscast, it's... it's part of my brand I don't fuck I can big it up couldn't I yeah that sounds pretty big damn yeah, I, I, I would send you one maybe two why didn't I think of that yeah. sooner <laughs> why didn't I think of that sooner damn I'm gonna do that I'm gonna email them again yeah fuck 
like yes, Mark CEO, Day Qatar. producer in chief and anything like that. So. Mark Day Qatar has an Axe FX3. Here's where you'll see some great demos of gear by Fractal Audio, Dave Freeman, John Stewart, Egnit. So yeah, basically plays high end gear. So he's obviously got some sort of connection to them, clearly, or he's rich as shit, one of the two. But yeah, so it looks like YouTubers don't have Axe FX3s at the minute, so there's still hope. Yeah. So I might send another email. I am the founder of blah de blah de blah. Yeah. And you never know, I might just get one. Yeah, <laughs> I hope I do. I hope I do. Uh, but yeah, quick, we've been going shit. We've been going eight hours now. Fuck. Uh, we'll quickly touch upon the fact before we wrap up the podcast that where uh, we heard the rumor that BC Rich may be going out of business. No one has reported on this yet. There's no official news article yet. But apparently, Hansa Music Group, who own the BC Rich brand, they bought it from the Rico family. I think it was when uh, Bernie Rico Senior died. I think he got passed on to his son. And uh, they sorted off to the hands of music group. Apparently, they are shutting their doors as early as this month, February. Apparently, it's, it's said next month, but obviously yeah. now it's this month. Uh, so it's very potential that the BC Rich is either going to close its door, but they have got the import license of Praxis. So I imagine the BC Rich brand will go on, but it's potentially going to get sold off. Who knows who it's going to get sold off to? Which could be it's there's nothing official. I really need to find some information. It's official information, uh, but this is just what I've heard anyway. And it seems to be reported widely among the BC Rich community. This is actually a thing. Yeah, it would probably be a good idea to check what's happened with those BC Rich artists. Uh, have um, they the, moved on to something else? There's barely any artists. There's only Curry King. There's a, there's a few small names, but Curry King's the only real BC Rich artist left now in terms of big name stars. Yeah, so 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 he's still with BC Rich. He didn't like. Move oh, they, on they to revealed a new signature model six. No, they revealed a new signature model six months ago. So. Uh, but Praxis have the uh, import line. They make them all in China now. Uh, Praxis also do Sterling, do, uh, the manufacturing distributor for Sterling by Music Man. Okay. Uh, that's who Praxis are. But Praxis seem to, uh, they don't seem to care about BC Rich as much, which really frustrates me. They seem, obviously, they put a lot of effort into Sterling. Sterling's really came a long way in the last couple of years. Uh, obviously, the John Petrucci model, the St. Vincent models are very popular. And right. a lot of people start to buy into them rather than buying the actual Music Man stuff. And it all seems like BC Rich has been put on the back burner as being like another brand on the books. They made an import line in China. Even the high-end BC Rich is made in China. And um, they oh. retail in the UK for £1,300 or £1,700, which is really annoying because that sort of money buys you an American Fender, a Gibson Les Paul traditional, stuff like that. Or you can buy a Chinese Gibson, uh, BC Rich, which is obviously a lot of people are pretty pissed off about yeah, that. Like, I wouldn't buy a high-end BC Rich for that reason. Because you buy, you pay an American-made prices for a Chinese guitar. Yeah, you and can I've get heard a used as, one from Japan. Or I've something. heard, as, oh yeah, I'm on the new stuff, but um, I've heard a lot of negative things about the build quality of these, uh, the Chinese ones. This new, like the new factory that they use, and apparently the workmanship's been very subpar at times. So I would feel very uncomfortable about handing over seventeen hundred quid for a high-end BC Rich these days. Uh, so hopefully, if Praxis get it, hopefully they turn the brand around. But if not, if they just put it all in the Chinese line, BC Rich is going to go down very, very fast. Uh, so hopefully you get sort of to someone who actually gives a shit about the brand. And, um, yeah, it looks like their Twitter account is... Oh, their Twitter uh, account's never the, active. The it's last, very inactive. Uh, their last post was in September. Yeah, and... it's very inactive. Uh, yeah. The Facebook page is a little bit more active, but there's been nothing official as far as I can tell uh, from BC Rich. I'm not entirely sure, but nothing, ever seen, nothing seems to be said about it. So I'm not totally sure whether it's out in public knowledge yet, but... Uh, the people on the BC Rich Junkies Facebook group are very, very in and have not a knowledge about BC Rich. And some of them are even former employees, current people that have a connection to them. So I think uh, it does seem pretty accurate that this is going to be the case. Oh, yeah. I think. 
But uh, yeah, definitely to do some more digging about it. That might be that might be the reason why they weren't a NAM this year. Maybe that would um, put a lot of truth into that one as well. Yeah, that would make sense. But uh, yeah, that's obviously a story for another day. But one that I'm definitely going to try and um, figure out. Yeah, sure. anyway. you should you should make an, another clickbaity video about that. Yeah, I might do. I have I mean, to, to keep there. the viewers going, obviously. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to do some more digging and try and find some more concrete facts or at least talk to someone who's mentioning this on the Facebook groups to sort of see how do they know about this, if they've got any sources. I'm trying to get hold of any information that over the last couple of days and I think I'll make a video about it. So the video may be out before the podcast, the podcast may be out before the video, who knows. Oh, yeah. uh, so if obviously if anyone's actually got the end of this podcast, which has been long as shit, then they may know we're talking about this now, but if not, then it'll be all surprise in the video. But yes, podcast has been long as that. Been going, this recording has been going over two hours. Two hours. Yeah. The podcast is probably not over two hours. It's maybe borderline two hours, because obviously we did talk a little Should bit. Should we do stuff. like two separate parts of it? Like... We could do it in two parts, because I remember... Um, chaos where i know you're a friend of him as well oh yeah um he oh, mentioned okay. that he did he did mention maybe doing more short form podcasts yeah, which i'm slightly comments. against uh i don't mind if a podcast happens to be short i'm not going to drag it out for the sake of it uh, i'm not going to make an hour-long podcast out of a half-hour topic because that would be pointless i'd rather make a half-hour podcast but um yeah i'm not going to um not do an hour two-hour show because obviously thinking about the length it is what it is uh, but yeah i think in terms of this podcast because it is really long we could maybe put it in two episodes that could be something to consider. Yeah, that would make sense. I think we'll we'll figure out a point to split it. I think we'll split it. Yeah, that would be a good idea. We'll so, do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll figure out. We'll figure out in the post-production phase. But uh, yeah, it's been a lot longer than I anticipated it anyway. But obviously, Nam is like the Christmas for musicians. A lot of shit to talk about. Yeah. So uh, we've had a lot of random. We've had a lot of pointless. Talk, we've talked about some pointless shit. We've talked about some random shit. But it's been fun either way. We've yeah, enjoyed it. Podcasts work anyway. So. I yeah, and like I said, it is. Um, is it's a Christmas musician. Lots of talk about. There's lots of stuff goes on at Nam this week, so obviously it was inevitable that we we're going to talk about it. And uh, yeah, overall it's been fun. And obviously up soon we've got uh, some interviews coming up. Hopefully soon need to arrange them, which should be fun. Uh, we've got Aaron from the band Bitsweet Blasphemy, a very small band here in Glasgow, England, Glasgow or Glasgow, as a lot of American people say. Uh, he's banned releasing a new EP in March, March 16th. They released a new EP. They've just released a single from it, so. Uh, hopefully we'll play that on the podcast and we'll give him an interview he's a good friend of mine a uh, huge gear nerd plays a lot of custom shops I've seen been talking about custom shops stuff this uh, episode oh. he plays a lot of custom shops from like Shekta he owns a Shekta custom shop uh, which he loves to tell people that he plays a £3,000 uh, 3, Shekta Masterworks guitar which fair enough he does however he got it for 700 quid ex demo so oh okay doesn't tell people that one no it's one of their let people know that one. It's every time I see it, I always makes me laugh. It's not extem actually. Apparently, a dude ordered it from uh, for, from guitar guitar from Shakedown. He play, placed the order, custom specs, blah blah blah. Got it all made. Um, paid the deposit for it. And never came to get it. Oh. So whether his financial situation changed, who knows? But it was on the guitar guitar website for a long time, for about thirteen hundred quid. Obviously, they were stuck with this guitar, one of a kind, uh, custom spec guitar. They were stuck with it, couldn't shift it at all. Uh, it was on the website for about 1300 quid, 1500 quid for a long time. And uh, it must have been in the store, his local store, and he managed to wrangle a deal and get it for about 700 quid. Yeah, I'd love to hear this story. Custom shop. He, he, I bet he won't tell us it. He won't oh, tell us it. He okay. tells everyone online it's okay. I pay £3,000 to check the masterworks guitar. Yeah, but you paid out phone prices for it, mate. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and get him to tell this story. See if he will. Just out of curiosity. He won't, he won't hear this podcast. So I'm going to see out of curiosity whether you actually tell the story or not. Or whether you'll hide the fact it is what it is. But either way, it's a sweet-ass guitar. It's gorgeous. 
one of those nice, beautiful guitars I've ever seen. Oh, uh, he also I plays a pack of he plays a pack of fly as well. Uh, very nice guitar. He plays a lot of high end guitars. He plays. He got a custom shop guitar from a uh, luthier. I think it was in Wales that he's passed away. It was like an eighty three or something like that. Uh, he got hold of that recently, like a one of a kind custom type of guitar. Yeah, he's very into his gear. And he's the guy I was saying was a very big orange nerd as well. He plays orange guitars, uh, orange amps. Uh, but yeah, he's a huge gear nerd, so it should be a fun uh, interview to do. It's pretty much going to be like this. We're just going to talk gear. Just oh, nerd yeah. out. Just nerd so out about two gear. hours of gear talk. Probably. But uh, we'll talk about his band, obviously. We'll plug his EP. Because we haven't got much of an audience, but obviously if we can plug his EP and get him a listen, a download, anything like that's going to be worth it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it should be a lot of fun. We've got uh, Crimson Studios, Ryan from Crimson Studios. He's a parody, satire type of news channel here on YouTube. He's one of the best creators, I think, in my opinion, that is going around at the minute. He's absolutely fantastic. Uh, he's coming on the show in the very near future. He just short form two minutes sort of news things about topic of like topics of the week sort of thing. Uh, editing skills absolutely on point. He's a great dude, full of energy, very very positive. And uh, yeah, looking forward to getting him on the channel uh, on the podcast as well. Should be a lot of fun. And obviously we've got Clark After Dark as well. Uh, our friend just going to talk gear, talk about whatever, talk about being a small YouTuber and the pros and cons, all the struggles of being a small channel. And Apocalypse 2.0. Exactly, we're going to talk about all that stuff with him. Uh, obviously we can get Linus and Nate on the podcast anytime if we want to talk about anything with her. She's always down for that. So we've got a few guests in the works. We've got a few people we still need to ask and a few people we still need to confirm. But yeah, hopefully over the next couple of weeks we'll start getting some more interviews uh, set up for the show. And uh, it should be a lot of fun. But yeah, we've got a lot of podcasts in mind. It's only the start of it. This is episode two or episode three. Depending how we've done it, probably going to be a two-part of this episode because it was long as shit. <laughs> and um, yeah, we'll split it up and we'll release it within like two days of each or something like that. We'll do it quite quick in succession. Uh, but yeah, overall, it uh, should be a lot of fun. We've got lots of coming up on the podcast. And uh, obviously, check back to our channels because we're always doing new content. And like I said, this episode is sponsored by Orange Amps. And uh, sometime in the near future, there'll be orange reviews on my channel too. So make sure you go and check them out because they're going to be glorious. I cannot wait. Oh, yeah. Cannot wait for that one. But yeah, I think that's probably wraps up the episode. I think we've talked long enough. And uh, people probably want to go and do something else with their lives rather than listen to us. So I yeah, think we'll wrap things up asleep, here. Like right now. So. <laughs> oh, definitely. And I need to go and get shit done. But yeah, we've been going for far too long now. Uh, so yeah, it is what it is. But yeah, um, yeah without further ado, I think that'll wrap up the podcast. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, thanks for listening and yeah, see you in the next We'll see you guys no. in the next episode. I, I, I'm kind of used to say see you in the next video, but definitely not in that case. Yeah. We'll, we'll see you guys again soon. Video. We'll talk to you in the next video. Yeah. Like We'll talk to you guys very, very soon in the next we'll episode of the Miscast podcast. Yeah. Alright everybody, it's time to exit stage left and head over to the next town. I want to give a huge thanks to Orange Amps and the brand new Brent Hines Terra Signature Amp for sponsoring these two episodes, the Winter Nam episodes of the Miscast podcast. Huge shout out to them, huge thank you for supporting the podcast, huge thank you for shipping the gear because I'm going to be reviewing these amps on my channel very, very soon. So thank you Orange for that. Make sure you go and check them out at orangeamps.com for more information and to find your local dealer. Now I just want to say me and Dan really enjoyed recording this podcast. It turned into a two-parter, that wasn't our intention, but we had a lot of fun doing it nonetheless we hope you guys have had just as much fun listening to it and if you want to keep up with all things miscast you can follow us on social media facebook and instagram.com forward slash miscast podcast twitter.com forward slash miscast underscore podcast you can follow us on twitch and soundcloud uh, forward slash miscast podcast you can subscribe on youtube and also be sure to subscribe and download and leave us a five-star review on apple Podcasts and itunes and if you want to become a super fan of the podcast you can head over to patreon.com and pledge just one dollar a month that helps us keep it on the air for 
free. It helps us get better equipment and get more guests in the show. And you get some perks such as ad-free viewing. So you have to listen to the sponsorships uh, during the podcast. You also get live hangouts amongst many, many other perks too. Uh, so if you want to go and help out the podcast, you want to support it, head on over there. And then overall, I just want to say thank you guys for supporting the podcast so far. It's still in its very early stages of the podcast. Uh, we're just getting our footing in the podcast world. And then uh, we hope you guys have been enjoying these episodes. We've got so much more planned and then we can't wait for you guys to listen to them. Right, on that note, that is the end of the show, guys. My name is Doodles. My co-host has been Daniel Leonov. We thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. You have been listening to a Miscast production. Subscribe and download new episodes on iTunes, listen on SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitch, Stitcher, and more, or become a superfan on Patreon. Just search for the Miscast podcast.